A reading from the book of Judges. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Then he said to them, Let me make a request of you. Everyone give me an earring from his plunder. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, We agree to give them. So they spread out a cloak, and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. The weight of the gold earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold, in addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments on the kings of Midian, and the chains on the necks of their camels. Gideon made an ephod from all of it and put it in Aphra, his hometown. Then all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there and became a snare to Gideon and his household. So Midian was subdued before the Israelites, and they were no longer a threat. The land had peace for 40 years during the days of Gideon. Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, son of Joash, went back to live at his house. Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, since he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Sheshem, also bore him a son, and he named him Abimelech. Then Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father, Joash, in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. When Gideon died, the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves by worshiping the Baals and made Baal Bereth their god. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hand of the enemies around them. They did not show kindness to the house of Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, for all the good that he had done for Israel. The word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning again. My name is Cody Quinn. I'm the pastor of Students and Connections here at One Fellowship. As always, it's an honor to bring the word on Sunday morning. And so before I dive in, let me say a quick word of prayer to start. Father, we thank you so much for today, this opportunity to uh, be, in, be in your house, to be in the house of the Lord, to hear from your word. And Father, I pray that my words would be yours. God, just like the song said, God, that it'd be like a mighty storm. Lord, that it would stir our souls, and Father, that it would make us to be more and more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen, amen. and amen. So you'll see my title on the screen for the message today is When Success Fails. And obviously we're looking at the life of Gideon today, and we'll get to Gideon in a moment. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever let a little pride distract you? Has a little pride ever crept into your life and made you lose focus? Or maybe let me ask it this way because it may be a little easier to see. Have you ever seen pride in someone else's life lead them to a downfall? Have you ever felt the, the, the wrath of pride? There's a story about Arnold Palmer, the golfer, and he says this. It was the final hole of the 1961 Masters Tournament. If you're not... If you don't know anything about golf, it's a pretty big tournament. And I had a one-stroke lead and had just hit a very satisfying tee shot. I felt, it was, I felt I was in pretty good shape. As I approached my ball, I saw an old friend standing at the edge of the gallery. He motioned me over, stuck out his hand and said, congratulations. I took his hand and shook it, but as soon as I did, I knew I had lost my focus. 
On my next two shots, I hit the ball into the sand trap, then over the edge of the green, missed a putt and lost the Masters. You don't forget a mistake like that. You see, the the match wasn't over yet. And yet a little bit of pride, a little bit of, oh man, I've got this wrapped up. Even though it's not finished, I, I got this. I can do this. Crept in and it made Arnold Palmer lose the match, a huge match. All too often, we let pride creep into our homes. We let pride creep into our hearts. And before we even realize what God intended for our flourishing, the success and the good things in our life that God intended for our flourishing, ends up pride destroys it. And so we'll talk about that today. And our big idea is that success fails when it puffs us up, when it puffs up our pride and it puffs up our position. Success fails when it puffs up our pride and position. And you'll see this graphic come up. We'll talk about this in two different points that normally whenever success happens, it can oftentimes lead to pride, a little bit, a lot of bit, some pride, which at the same time also makes us think more of ourselves than what we should. And it puffs up our position where we are, which oftentimes and always when it comes to pride leads to failure. And it's important to note to note, excuse me, before we dive in, and I've already said this, but these two work in tandem. As pride rises, what we think of ourselves rises in a negative way. And so we'll dive into our passage today with point number one, which is success fails when it puffs up our pride. In verse 22 of chapter eight in Judges, we read, then the Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Then he said to them, let me make this request of you though. Everyone give me an earring from his plunder. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, we agreed to give them. So they spread out a cloak and everyone threw an earring from the plunder on it. The weight of the gold earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold. In addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments on the kings of Midian and the chains on the necks of their camels, Gideon made an ephod or a a cloak or a coat or a breastplate, made an ephod out of all this and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. Then all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his household. So we just finished a sermon series through the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. We've been in there since January. And so today is kind of a one-off message. And so let me build us some context around the story of Gideon so we can get a, a better picture of what's going on here. After the life of Joseph, which we just talked about in detail for several months, we see the book of Exodus to Deuteronomy. And we see this leader named Moses, who, long story short, takes the Israelites, leads them out of slavery from Egypt to the edge of the promised land. Whenever Moses dies, Joshua takes over. And in the book of Joshua, we see how he leads the conquering of the promised land and the settling in the promised land. in in a way that God had instructed. And then in Judges chapter one, it says that Joshua died 
And the next generation grew up not knowing the good works of God, and they did what was evil in God's sight. So just sit there for just a minute before we get to Gideon. It only took one generation for the goodness of God to be forgotten. This was a crazy time in history. The people were not ready for a human king, and God was their king to follow. At this point, he sent judges, or in other terms, deliverers, to deliver his people from their trouble. And so here's where we find Gideon. The fifth out of 12 judges that we read about in Scripture to, sent to save the nation of Israel. And Gideon's story is really one that you should go home and read during the week, Judges 6 through 8, so you can see the full picture. It's probably one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It's about how God uses those who live in fear and those who, who think of themselves as the, as the least of these. How I have nothing to offer, and yet he uses Gideon to save a whole nation. And he can use you differently, but similarly in the, in the same way. So long story short, Gideon should not have been a success. He was the youngest in the weakest tribe, and he should not have been a success. And yet, God uses him. God uses him in a crazy way, and the detail that I'll pull out from this story is that it, he took 300 men into battle, and he had victory over 15,000 plus. So as you read this week, take note of that. It took 300 people for Gideon to have success over 15,000 people. This was a miraculous victory that could only be credited to God, and that's why it happened this way. Credit was God's and God's alone. And Gideon starts out great in our passage, right? The people come to him and they say, hey, look, you should be the ruler over us. They were trying to say you should be our king, but they didn't want to say king. But without saying it, they were like, be our king. We need a ruler. And Gideon's response was perfect. Me nor my son will rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. God is your king. But then in the very next verse, it turns, right? The Lord is your king. I will not be your king. Yet he asked for golden earrings, which is a sign of servitude. Now, let me pause here in our story and tell you about a turtle. Um, this is a silly little story that really illustrates the point that I'm trying to drive home today. But there was this turtle. And this turtle lived far away from Florida, but he had heard about Florida many times in his life. And he wanted to make his way to Florida. But turtles are not the fastest, right? And he couldn't hop on airplanes. So he's like, how do I get there? So we got these two geese. They held on to each side of a rope. And then he, with his jaws, clamped down on the middle of the rope and they were flying on their way to Florida. And it was all going well until someone looked up from the ground and said, dude, that's awesome. Who thought of that? Unable to resist the chance to take credit, he let go of the rope and said, I did. And, that, and he did not make the Florida, I don't think. <laughs> but you see the point there. He couldn't resist the pride of letting others know that it was his idea. Here, here's the point of that story. And here's the point of the sermon. You will probably do more damage to your spiritual life than anyone else around you. 
You and I will do more damage to our spiritual life than anyone else around us. You see, Gideon started out well, but his success got to his head. He let his victory spoil him. He let his victory puff him up. His pride got the best of him. He wanted the recognition that he thought he deserved. So he asked for a token of service from everyone, just like a king would. He makes an ephod out of that, which is a coat or a breastplate that was only meant for a high priest to wear and only meant to be used in the tabernacle, not to be used by some guy who had a cool victory and to be put in his hometown. He said, come and worship my handcrafted idol in my hometown because I delivered the victory. He started out so well, but just like our turtle, his pride got the best of him. Tim Keller has this quote. He says, there's a terrible spiritual danger involved in the receiving of any blessing. Success can easily cause us to forget God's grace because our hearts are desperate to believe that we can save ourselves. God-given victory can easily be used to confirm the belief that, in fact, we have earned a blessing for ourselves and should receive praise and glory for that success. So I raise this question to you this morning. Have you forgotten that every breath you take, every ability you have, every good gift that you receive is from the Lord? Have you forgotten that? Have I forgotten that? Success is a double-edged sword. Yes, God desires for us to flourish. We read that in John 10, 10 and all over scripture. However, if that success gets to our head, it can crumble us even quicker than it came. Pride destroys. That takes us to point number two. Point number two, success fails when it puffs up our position. Success fails when it puffs up our position. Our passage continues in verse 28. So Midian was subdued before the Israelites and they were no longer a threat. The land had peace for 40 years during the days of Gideon. Jeroboam, that is Gideon. And again, as you read this story this week, you'll understand why they changed his name. The son of Joash went back to live at his house. Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, since he had many wives. His concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore, bore him a son and named him Abimelech. Then Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash in Ophrah of the Abizarites. When Gideon died, the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves by worshiping the Baals and made Baal Bareth their God. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hand of their enemies. Now again, remember what I said, when our pride is puffed up, we start to, to, our position starts to puff up. We start to think things about ourselves that may not be true. They feed off of each other. It's because Gideon becomes increasingly prideful that he begins to think of himself in the position that he's not the rightful, he's not rightfully to hold. He sees himself as king. We see that through actions that we've already read about, the taking of the earrings, the making of the ephod, making a shrine for people to come and worship where he is for what he's done. And now we see he builds his family like a king did in those days. We see he has multiple wives. He has a concubine, many children, 70 sons, not including daughters. 
His pride has led him to act in a way that he never would have prior to this. Forgetting God's provision, provision, he views himself as the savior of the nation, not God. Although he played a major role, king was not his title to hold. It was not his way to live. It was by God's empowerment and provision only that Gideon succeeded, but now he wanted all the attention. And we see that this leads him to two terrible places. Follow with me here. First, our scripture says that from this point on, his family was ensnared. They were trapped. We're not told the details, but what we can take from that is the flourishing that God meant for him and his family to live in was less than. They never reached the true flourishing that God had intended because of Gideon's pride and his decision. Think of our turtle from the story earlier. Back to him. It's as if the turtle was wearing a backpack and said, hey, family, hop in. We're going to Florida. And then because someone calls out from the ground and he wants to take recognition, not only when he let go, lets go does he fall, but it takes his family with him. Your pride does not only affect you. Parents, how is your pride affecting your children? Husbands, wives, how is your pride affecting your spouse? Students, how is your pride effect, affecting your friend group and those you hang out with on a daily basis? For those who interact with anyone at any time, how is your pride affecting those around you? Gideon's pride and the placement of himself as king does not just affect his family though. We read that yes, there were 40 years of peace, but it all comes crashing down upon Gideon's death, which just as side note, that's also a reason not to tag your faith onto a person because they won't let you down. But as we continue, there's 40 years of peace, but once he dies, it's all over. You may not be president of a company or leader of a team, but your pride may be impacting more people than you know. Maybe it's your family line. Here's one example of many that we could talk about today. You grew up in church. Your family made you go to church when the doors were open. You know and serve the Lord. However, with your kids, you've taken a different approach. You let them choose when they go to church and where they go to church. Half the time at best, they aren't here due to any number of reasons. School, sports, competition, vacation, or maybe they just said they didn't want to go. Then one day you have grandkids that come along. Your kids, being a generation down, take an even softer parenting approach when it comes to faith. Your grandkids barely know what church is, barely know who Jesus is, forgetting the goodness of God. That's just one example of many of how pride can sneak in. Our world is hard to navigate. I'm convinced that parenting has never been more difficult. Honoring God in any area of life has never been more difficult. But when we start to prioritize things that were never meant to be prioritized, that is a form of pride. I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. We're all guilty of this in our life on some level. And this pride can affect more than those around us right here and now, but people down the line that we have not even met. A whole nation, 
A whole generation was misled because of Gideon's puffed up pride and his puffed up position that he placed on himself. So how is pride impacting you? Your coworkers, your friends, your family. So is there any good news? Is there any good news in this passage? Yes, there is a ton of good news. And it's the fact that God keeps sending judges. Gideon is five of 12, the fifth of 12 judges that he sends. As the people continue to mess up, he continues to save them, continues to send people, continues to chase after them, even in their rebellious lifestyle. Even though they keep following the same pattern after the same pattern, he keeps sending help. He keeps sending deliverers to reprioritize their life because he wants them to live in peace now and forever. Our Bible ultimately leads us to the point of the New Testament where we see this, our Old Testament has been pointing us to this coming perfect savior, a perfect judge, a perfect deliverer. And we read in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus is that savior. He took on all of our sins, placed it on himself on the cross, died, raised on the third day, defeating sin, death, and whomever believes in him can be saved and live in peace with him. That's what all the judges are looking forward to. That's what all the kings in the Old Testament look forward to is this Jesus, this perfect deliverer. And that's the promise that we can hold on to today. And you'll see in this graphic from the beginning, but just a little addition is that no matter where you are on this graph, whether you're in a season of success, the promise of forgiveness and peace is for you. If you're puffed up with pride and position in your life, this promise of forgiveness and peace is for you. If you're in a season of failure or wishing you had more success, this promise is for you too. As long as you still have breath in your lungs, you can choose to trust in him today. He's already made the way. The promise of peace, the promise of salvation is for you, but our pride can get in the way and destroy that peace. So what's our defense? How do we protect ourselves? How do we guard ourselves from this pride? Or what's our offense? How do we not just react, but how do we live a life actively going against this pride that's so easy to do? And it's to live a life of humility, to live a life following the image that Christ set before us in scriptures. We got to fight this pride with a lifestyle of humility. Carrie Newhoff has this quote, and I'm going to read an extended quote, but you'll see it on the screen. For years, I thought pride and humility were attitudes. Want to be less prideful? Just adopt a humble attitude. But I'm no longer sure that's entirely true. In fact, I now believe pride and humility are habits. In the same way that physical health isn't an attitude, as much as it is a product of activity and sensible eating, humble people and arrogant people adopt habits that make them proud or humble. Here's how I think pride and humility in reality work. On the day-to-day, -day, if you want to be more humble, do what humble people do. If you want to be more prideful, do what prideful people do. So how can we put this idea in practice? 
with Christ's help, how do we establish these habits or these life systems that we can live into so that we'll be more like Jesus and live a more humble life so pride doesn't destroy us, those around us, our families? I have two points of application, two questions, two habits. First question and habit. Do you feel entitled? Take a self-assessment. Do you feel entitled? Gideon felt that it was his right to be known as the victor for the victory that he won. It was his victory. He led the army. He was the leader. He felt entitled to the praise for making it happen. Do you feel entitled for climbing whatever ladder you've climbed, for achieving whatever you've achieved? Do you feel like you have done the work? If you feel any bit entitled, start a habit of gratitude. Fight those feelings of entitlement with a new habit of gratitude. Maybe it is to start journaling each day about something you're thankful for. Maybe it's texting someone else about somehow you're thankful for them. Maybe it's praising someone face-to-face for something that they did or said. Getting the attention off of you and on to others. Question two, and this comes from Carrie Newhoff's article. Do you address before you confess? Do you address before you confess? Have you ever looked at someone and saw their problems and their faults and talked to them about their problems and their faults before you ever considered yours? Do you address other people and where they don't measure up and not, measure, and not look at yourself? When is the last time you honestly took and confess your failures to God. I mean, that's something you can do in private, but when's the last time you did? When's the last time you sat your family down in the living room and said, here's my confession? When's the last time you circled your work team up and said, hey, here's where I missed the mark? Fight against pride by starting a habit of confession. And the cool thing is we do this every week. We have confession and communion every week to remind us of our place and God's place, to reprioritize our lives saying, hey, God, you are in control. Thank you. To wrap up, success isn't bad. It's just dangerous. Success is not bad. It's just dangerous. If we aren't careful, we get caught up in our pride and act like we're the ones who gained the victory. We puff ourselves up and mistakenly dethrone God from his position as victor and place ourselves there. We start to live by our rules, not by his. And we read in the book of John that Christ came to save, not to condemn, to give us life and life to the full. And so whether you are in a season of success or a season of praying for some success, God's promises ring true for you. You can be forgiven in him. You can live a full life in him. You won't be condemned. You'll be saved and made new. Let's pray. Father, this um, pride is hard. Pride is so easy to see in other people and so hard to see in ourselves. God, rid me of pride. Rid the church of pride. 
God, I pray that we would take honest assessments of ourselves on this pride scale and see where we need to reprioritize our life, letting go of control and giving you the control that you rightfully deserve and you're gonna make it better anyways. God, help us to be more like you. Help us to follow your example. You, the king of the universe, came to this earth to serve, not to be served. Help us to emulate that. Help us to be more and more like you. It's in your name we pray, amen.